All right. Uh, finish this phrase with me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Okay, I don't remember how old I was. It was probably sometime around first, second, maybe third grade when I first heard that phrase. And you were probably around the same age the first time you heard it. And it's interesting. That phrase has been around for over 150 years. At least that's what Google said. And I trust what Google says um, because Google knows everything about us more than what we'd like to pretend or think about. And uh, it's interesting because even though that phrase, it's catchy, all of us know that it's not true. And and I know it's not true because um, probably sometime around the same time that I learned that phrase, I was outside playing with a group of friends and I actually got hit with a rock. And I can remember it because as the stone was hurtling towards me in a kind of like David versus Goliath thing, it was just, it was thrown by, uh, you know, somebody that I was playing with and, and they weren't trying to hit me, but here comes this rock and it's like slow motion. I see it spinning towards me. Very matrix like moment. right. If you remember that movie, except I didn't dodge the rock. I just stared at it as it hit me square in the head. And there was blood and there was pain and there was tears. But here's the interesting thing about that. There was no lasting effects from that. There were no scars from that. And it wouldn't be the last time that I'd have a run in with the rocks. And I had a run in with quite a few sticks along the way and some trees and some shrubs and the time that I kind of did an end over on my bike. And there was a cactus on the other side. And, and you know, that's just that's how it is when you're a kid and you're growing up and you're playing out in the desert. You're going to get some bumps and bruises. But none of those things had a lasting effect on me. None of those things uh, left any scars or any ill effects that kind of linger and stay with me today. But words, that's a different story. See, I can remember times in my life where people have said things to me that have wounded me deeply. I can not only remember the words they said, I can remember the clothes they were wearing in some cases. I can remember uh, what the inflection in their voice sounded like. As they said those words, words that have stuck with me to this day. See, sticks and stones may break my bones, and then my bones, they'll heal. But the ill effects of of words, they can last a lifetime. And for some of you, that may have been your experience growing up. You may have have grown up in an environment where there was a lot of destructive words. Or you may have, uh, as you got older and as you started to run with a certain crowd of people, uh, maybe some of them were not so kind to you. Maybe some of them said things to you that, that marked you, that scarred you, that stuck with you to this day. And you would say, you know what? Uh, I may have had some bumps, I may have had some bruises along the way, but none of those things had a lasting effect. But man, some of the words that people said to me, that's deadly. It's dangerous. It's stuck with me. See, words can be used as a weapon. Words can be used to tear down and to destroy, and they can leave a lasting effect. They can damage, and in some cases, that damage can last for a lifetime. At the same time, though, Words can also be used in a positive way, can't they? And hopefully you've experienced that. Hopefully you've experienced uh, maybe a friend coming alongside you when you were discouraged and offering a well-timed word of encouragement. Maybe you were trying to navigate a difficult time in your life and somebody came alongside you and offered you some words of wisdom and it helped you out and you experienced the positive aspect, the positive side of words. I was very fortunate. I grew up in an environment and, and I had friends that for the most part, everything that was said was positive in nature. Words were life-giving. Words were something that built up and not simply something 
that tore down or that destroyed or that harmed or that were wielded as a weapon. See, we live in a world today where we have more access to words than ever before. You can turn on any one of 50 uh, cable channels and there's probably some form of a talk show on at some point during the day and you have all these talking heads sitting around discussing an issue saying everything there is to say about it until they've said everything there is to say about it and then they just start repeating themselves because they've got advertisers that need advertising slots to pay for the whole hour and so they had five minutes of contact but it was a content but it was a 60 minute program or talk radio, multi-billion dollar industry built on people that sit behind microphones, people we can't even see and talk all day long. They talk about politics. They talk about sports. They talk about useless celebrity gossip uh, and other current events in our lives. And we soak this stuff in. And the interesting thing about that is that for those people who are on talk radio, it seems like the more inflammatory you are with your words, the more you're willing to kind of push the envelope and go to the edge and kind of, hey, I'm not going to get fined by the FCC, but I'm going to go all the way to the edge. The more people will listen to you. The more advertisers will pay to keep you on the air. Think about the internet, the digital age. We have access uh, to newspapers and written content from people all over the world. I mean, 50 years ago, 25 years ago, if you wanted to, to, to get your message out to people, if you had a written message and you wanted to get it out, you had to find a publisher that would take your manuscript. You had to, to find a periodical or a magazine that would pick up your writings and it would print it. And those books, those magazines, those periodicals would have to be distributed to people who would buy them, uh, subscribers who would subscribe to the magazine, subscribe to the periodicals. If you wanted to get your message out, that was how you had to do it. Now, all you got to do is, is go to wordpress.com and you can start a free blog. And anybody anywhere in the world can log in and read what you have to say. And it's not a bad thing necessarily. It's just the reality of the world in which we live. And then, then there's social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever the newest app is that I'm not hip enough to know about that you can clue me in on afterwards, right? Uh, You know, we're out there and we're seeing words. We're conveying words constantly. Think about how much you know about people. People you never see. People you never talk to. You know what they ate for dinner. You know what they thought of that movie. You know uh, what's going on in their lives. You know what emotions they've been experiencing recently. You know what's happening with their kids. And all of that happens from the comfort of your couch, looking at your phone or your tablet or your computer. And then, then there's the people on social media who are just TMI, right? They cannot help themselves. They simply must overshare. They assume that because people are, are friends on Facebook or people are following them on Twitter or, or you know, following them on Instagram, that they want to see pictures of everything and you want commentary on everything. I'm sorry. I don't want to know about your fungal infection, right? I really don't want to see a picture of it. Okay, so please, if you are one of those people that overshares, don't overshare. Let's keep social media free and available for the discussions that really matter. Like what color is the dress? Okay, Uh, show of hands, how many of you see it as gold and white? Okay, how many of you see it as black and purple? Or blue, sorry, black and blue. How many of you are like me? You looked at the same picture at different times and you saw it as two different colors and you thought you were going crazy, right? How many of you have no idea what we're talking about? Good for you. That means either you 
have social media and you aren't constantly on it, or you don't have social media, which means there is hope for society. There are people who are still spending their time doing productive things, not debating what color address is or finding out what the llamas are doing. Okay. There's another social media thing from the week. The point is, and there is a point, words are all around us in ways like never before. Words can be used to build up. They can be used to tear down. Words can be used to give life. They can be used to take life. And so it's no surprise that James writing a letter to first century Christians, a letter that's been preserved for us today in the Bible, James talks about words and, and words back then were not even like they are today. So James talks about our words. He talks specifically about our spoken words, but I think that it's very easy to kind of, to take this a step further for us and to kind of say that words are any context in which we convey a written or verbal message. Anytime you say something, uh, whether it's verbally or in a text message or over social media or some other environment where people are going to read it, your words have power. And James is going to talk about our words and, and he's going to come at this from the, the kind of the dangerous side of words. He's going to focus in on just how dangerous words can be. And we're going to dive in and we're going to look at this here tonight, because as we've been saying throughout this series, the gospel is not written merely for our information. It's written for our transformation. The gospel, the the good news of all that God has done through Jesus, through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is written not merely to inform us about something that happened, but to be something that transforms us, something that fundamentally changes the way we live. And one of the ways that it changes us is through our words. So we're going to be in the first part of James chapter three tonight. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Or um, if you have a smartphone, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have the YouVersion Bible app on your smartphone, you can go to your app store, search Bible. It'll probably be the first one uh, that comes up at the top of the list. That's a free download. You can download that. Um, you can read from uh, dozens of different English translations. Um, we typically use the NIV, uh, not for any particular, not because it's better than any of the other translations. We just, it's a little bit easier to understand. Um, it's a little bit uh, more modern in terms of the way uh, the English is. And so I want you to look, if you have uh, an, the ability to do that, I want you to look at these words. I want you to see what James has to say. So we're going to cover 12 verses tonight. Not all of them are going to be on the screen, um, but we're going to start in James chapter three, verse one. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. You read that and you say, well, nobody is able to keep their tongue in check. No one is able to keep their words in check. Therefore, none of us are perfect. Come on, James. No one is perfect. And James is saying exactly. That's why we need to go on. That's why we need to talk about this because there's great importance in the words that we use. And here's what we often think about when it comes uh, to our words. And, and even if you're not a Christian, you understand that there's great power in words. What we often think about is the words themselves. We get focused in on what comes out of our mouth. We get focused in on the words and we think just about the words and we miss what's behind those words. We miss why our words 
matter so much. We miss why uh, it's, it matters for us as believers to be careful about the words we use. And so as we go through the rest of this passage, that's what we're going to dig in and that's where we're going to go. We're going to discover why our words matter so much because James has already showed us that words are a big deal. If you could control your words, you would be perfect. But none of us can control our words and none of us are perfect. Verse three, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. That means the tongue is powerful. That's what James means when he says that it makes great boasts. The tongue is powerful. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. See, the tongue... The tongue is disproportionate in size to its importance. Because even though the the tongue is small, it can inflict a great deal of harm. And there's a a word play that happens in the the second part of verse 5. And it's impossible for us to pick up on it in in the English translations because um, James uses the same Greek word and we translate it as great and small. And you're going, what? Well, in Greek, there's a word and it... um, it means it's a word of magnitude. It's a word of extreme. And James uses this word here to identify the fact that the tongue is powerful and that the tongue is extreme. And we use the context to say, okay, it's a small spark, but it can lead to a great forest fire. And James is kind of cluing us into this idea. And he's going to, in verse six, he's going to get explicit about this. He's cluing us into this idea that The tongue, although it is small in the grand scheme of things, it is incredibly powerful. It has a lot of power behind it. It can build up or it can tear down. In some cases, the tongue, even though what we say is small, the damage and what can come from that is massive. It's like a spark in a forest fire. I can remember uh, going up to Mount Lemmon. It was the first time I'd been up there um, after the Aspen fire in 2003. That fire uh, went through Summerhaven, destroyed most of Summerhaven, the community that's up on Mount Lemmon. It destroyed at least 80,000, maybe 90,000 plus acres of land up there. And investigators believed that that fire was started when someone discarded a cigarette without putting it out. And that single spark destroyed most of the mountain destroyed all these beautiful trees. And when you go up there and you see uh, the blackened trees, you see the, the leaves are gone and just a little bit of uh, the stumps remain. And you have uh, these just ashes everywhere and pine cones that have just been blackened. And then you think about what James is saying here. It really drives home his point that he's making about the tongue. The tongue is extreme. It may be small in the grand scheme of things. You may think your words aren't that significant, James says. But they can do a whole lot of damage. They can inflict wounds that last 
a lifetime. They can bring people down in ways that should not be. He goes on, verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So the picture James paints of the tongue is kind of a bleak one. And you read it and you say, well, that's kind of extreme. And in one sense it is. But James wants us to feel the weight of this as believers, as people who have put our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus as the payment of our sins. He wants us to understand just how significant our words are. And he wants us to understand why our words are so significant. See, this idea of words, we see it all throughout Scripture. Jesus talks about how important our words are. Proverbs. Proverbs talks about the tongue or our mouth or kind of various other ways of describing that in more than a hundred verses. And Proverbs does mention how words can be used to build up and to give life. But Proverbs also mentions some of the ways that our tongue can get us in trouble. Some of the ways that our words can come back to kind of haunt us. Can our words can come back to bite us. That our words can inflict harm on those around us. Think about a, a tongue or, that's prone to lying. See, you and I, we can lie. With our words, we can deceive others. We can deceive our family, our friends, our co-workers, the people around us. We can try to make ourselves appear to be something that we are not. And what happens is when we do that, we damage that relationship. Because we put ourselves in a position where we've built up this facade and we have to keep up the facade. And we, tang, uh, we weave this tangled web of kind of, of lies and half-truths and trying to appear to be something that we're not, and it gets exhausting after a while. We get tired trying to figure out, well, you know, what did I say the last time? Because we want to save face. See, our words can damage our relationships with others when we use them to lie. Or think about, maybe you don't lie, but, but maybe we use our words to kind of arrogantly boast about our accomplishments. We're always talking about ourselves. We're always making it about us. Chances are you know someone like that, don't you? You know someone who every time you start to have a conversation, every time you tell a story, they've got to one-up it, right? It's like that skit from Saturday Night Live with the girl who's always trying to, I went to a party and Will Smith was there. That's fine. I went to a party and Will Smith and Brad Pitt were there, right? It's like everything is, is one up. It's always something is better. They're always trying to put the attention on them. And, and it's exhausting to be around those kind of people. It's tiring. And after a while, you start to look for ways uh, to not be around them anymore. Because they're using their words in such a way that nothing they're saying is untrue. But they're just always making it about them. Sometimes we're simply kind of careless or thoughtless with our words. I have a quick tongue. It can be to my benefit at times. 
And many, many times it can be to my downfall. Sometimes I'll say something and the tone in which I'll say it, the way in which I'll say it, it'll come out and it'll just be blunt and I won't think anything of it. And then Sarah, my wife will say, did you think about how that sounds? Do you realize how that sounds? And I, I stop it in my mind. I, I didn't realize how it sounded until she said something. See, my words, they oftentimes come out in ways that I don't even perceive how they're coming out. Or what about uh, gossip, slander, talking behind other people's backs? Maybe you're not saying anything that's untrue, but you're certainly not saying anything that's flattering. Or you're talking about something that's really none of your business to be talking about it. And you're kind of, what you're doing is, you're trying to deflect the attention away from you and to put it on the other person. You want to make sure that everybody understands what's going on in their life, what he did wrong, what she said, what she did wrong, what's going on in their marriage, what's going on with their kids. And you want to deflect the attention away from you. See, when you look at all of those ways in which the tongue can be used to to kind of negatively um, affect others and to tear people down and to deflect the attention away from us and onto the faults of others, you begin to understand why James would say that the tongue is a restless evil and that it's full of deadly poison. Our words matter. And we're going to see why here as we read these last couple of verses. Verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James has no tolerance for double standards. You see this throughout his letter. He calls Christians to live a life that reflects the faith they profess. This was part of his point last week. The passage that Jack looked at. The interplay between faith and works. James says, that's great that you say you have faith. But genuine faith always results in life transformation. It's not enough to just to verbally profess to believe something. Genuine faith always reveals itself through our actions. And one of the areas where it reveals itself is through our words. And it's not that, it's not that uh, we reach a point in our lives where our words become perfect. That's not what this is about. What James is getting at here with our words is, is we ought to be people who are being transformed. And one of the areas that we ought to be transformed is in our words. That as we grow in our faith, that the Holy Spirit begins to chisel and chip away at us. And instead of using words as a weapon, that we begin to use words to breathe life into others. And to build others up. That's what happens as we grow in our faith. See, words matter. They matter the way we say them, our intent behind them, and not for what we, not for the reasons we typically think. We typically think that words is about kind of just monitoring what we say or filtering our comments to others or avoiding a list of certain words. If you're a parent, right, you probably have some words in your home that you don't want your kids saying. And inevitably they catch you saying the words that you're not supposed to say. And then you're trying to explain your way out of that. And and it just doesn't go well because by the time they're about three, they're able to reason with you. And they realize that 
you're full of it, okay? Um, and so uh, you're, it's not about that. This is about what's behind our words. See, the reason why our words matter is because they reveal what's going on inside of us. They reveal what's going on in our heart. Here's kind of what I think James is getting at. What you say reveals what's inside of you. What you say reveals what's inside of you. The words you use are a reflection of what's going on inside your heart. See, uh, fig trees produce figs. Olive trees produce olives. Saltwater springs produce salt water. Grapevines produce grapes. Freshwater springs produce fresh water. And James would say, if he were to continue, your words are simply a product of you, the real you. The you that is down inside. The you that you keep locked away. The words, the the you that you try to manage and you try to keep it from coming out. You try to, to act like it's not in there. But listen to what Jesus, James' brother, listen to what Jesus said about this. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 18, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. See, Jesus taught and James taught that our words are a reflection of what's in our heart. And that's why our words matter. Because when stuff comes out, it reveals what's going on inside of us. What you say reveals what's inside of you. And it's tempting to think that we need to come up with a strategy to just monitor our words and be careful about what we say. And James would say, and Jesus would say, no, 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 no. It's deeper than that. Words matter, but they matter because they reveal what's going on inside of you. Which means that if you and I want to begin to deal with our words, if we want to begin to be people who speak life with our words and to build others up and to be careful about what we say, that we need to begin to deal with the root of the issue. We need to begin to deal with our heart. And so the challenge for us tonight is to do just that, to begin dealing with our heart. So let me ask you, what's going on inside of you? What's going on inside your heart? And maybe that's kind of a strange question to you, or you've never had it asked that way. Really, it's just asking what's going on inside you. What's stirring around in there? What are the emotions that you're feeling? What is it that you've been holding on to? What is it that you've been kind of suppressing? that you've been trying to keep it from coming out because Jesus taught and James taught that what we say eventually makes its way out of our heart. And if you want to begin to speak life into people, if you want to begin to use your words to build others up, to give uh, life in a positive way, then you need to begin to deal with your heart. See, if you've got anger inside, if you're mad about what he did, if you're mad about what she did, if you're mad about the way that relationship went, if you're all you're angry at your ex and, and they deserve it, he deserves it, she deserves it, if that's stirring around inside of you, eventually that's going to come out in your words. 
If you're angry about something that happened to you a long time ago, if you blame God for something that happened to you, that's going to find its way out in your words. You're going to be short with people. You're going to be prone to outbursts. Or maybe you're one of those people who's really good at just holding it in until all of a sudden it just explodes out of you. And people are kind of a little bit on edge around you because you've got anger and it's inside and it's festering. And you're not dealing with it and it's coming out in your words. What about envy or jealousy? You're always trying to knock people down. You're always trying to make sure that the faults of others get elevated because you're jealous, you're envious of them. And rather than dealing with that issue, you're prone to to the gossip. You're prone to the slander. You're prone to, to the biting remarks, to cutting people down because you want to deflect the attention away from you and what's going on in your life. And you want to make it about the other person. See, if you've got bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness in your heart, that's going to come out. If you're a greedy person, if you feel entitled, if you're ungrateful, those you're going to have comments that come out that reveal that because what's inside is eventually going to make its way out. What you say reveals what's inside of you. And if you want to begin to deal with your words, then you have to go straight to the source and begin to deal with your heart. So here's your homework for this week. This isn't school. Can we get homework? Yes. Call it an assignment, whatever psychological way you need to get over if homework is a bad choice. Here's your homework for the week. Okay. Three steps. First, you are going to sit down and you're going to take some time and you are going to write out what's going on in your heart. You're going to do a heart checkup on yourself. And this is going to take a a little bit of time. You say, well, I don't don't have time to do that. I understand. But you're going to sit down and you're going to take some time and you're going to write this out. Because if you realized, as we read through those verses in James, that you know what? I really need to evaluate the way I use my tongue. Then then you got to go straight to the source. This isn't about monitoring your words or filtering what comes out. See, we we like to pretend, we like to say things like, I have no idea where that came from. That just slipped out. Oh, I didn't really mean that, right? But Jesus would say, and James would say, I know where it came from. It came from your heart. And if you want to begin to deal with that, you need to deal with your heart. So you're going to sit down and you're going to write out what's going on inside your heart. Now, it would not be fair of me to stand up here and to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. That would be hypocritical. And so um, I thought I should probably go first in this. And so I spent some time this week and I wrote down just a little bit of what's going on in my heart. And if you're thinking, I'm going to zoom in and find out what that is. We don't have cameras that good, okay? So don't even go there. But you're going to sit down and you're going to write out what's going on in your heart. That's first. Second, second, you're going to look at what you wrote down and you're going to begin to process that and try to find the ways that it comes out in your words. And this might take a little bit of time, right? But one of the things that I wrote down is that I have a, have a, an unhealthy and really a uh, naive desire to feel like I'm in control or to try to be in control. And what that results in is it oftentimes results in me being short with other people. Because when I have the vision of the way something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen that way and I'm not able to control it and make it happen that way, 
Sometimes I get irritated. See, if I have kind of this, okay, here's what we're going to do on Saturday. We're going to go here and then we're going to go there and I'm going to get the, you know, the yard mode and I'm going to get the laundry done. We're going to get, you know, get the grocery shopping done. And then, uh, you know, after dinner, we're going to run those errands and all that stuff. And, and then the kids don't take a, uh, a good nap. Everything just goes out the window, right? And I become short and I become irritable. Why? Because I have this uh, ridiculous and unhealthy desire to try to be in control. This is the other reason why you have to actually write it down. When you write down some of this stuff, you begin to find yourself going, really? That's kind of petty. That's kind of insignificant. That's really bothering me. I'm really allowing that to to impact the way I speak to others. So you got to write it down. You got to look for the connections. And then third, you need to begin to actually deal with this stuff. You need to pray and ask God to empower you through the Holy Spirit to begin to deal with the junk that's in your life. And this is not going to be easy, friends. You're going to discover some things about yourself and you're going to go, whoa, that's in there. And you're going to write some things down. And as you kind of trace them out and you kind of you get to the reason behind that and the reason behind that, you're going to go, wow, I thought I dealt with that. But that's still in there. That's still impacting me. And it's coming out in my words. Friends, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen in a week. It's not going to happen in a few weeks. It might take months. It might take years for you to deal with some of this stuff. But if you want to become a person who uses their words to build others up, then you've got to work on the source. You've got to go to the heart. And you've got to begin to deal with with that. And if you do that, God will honor that. Because God wants you. God doesn't want you to be someone who wields words as a weapon. He wants you to be someone who uses your words to build others up, to speak life into them, to, to be a testament of his grace, to be a greater reflection of his glory, and to better love the people around you. So would you be willing this week to write down what's going on in your heart? to look for those ways that it comes out in your words and to begin dealing with that. If you will do that, then here's what you'll find over time. That the Holy Spirit will begin to transform you from the inside out. And that as you do that, you'll start to change. And one of the areas you'll change is your words. Your words will begin to match what's going on on the inside. Your words will begin to speak life and hope and love, and grace, and compassion, and mercy toward others. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you would uh, help that to become a reality in my life. Because you know I need it. And I pray for those who are here who need the same thing in their life. Pray that you would give them the courage to investigate what's going on and to begin to deal with that. That we might look back in the months and years that follow and begin to see a noticeable pattern and difference in the words we speak. Father, we thank you for your son and for his sacrifice on our behalf. And as we take communion now, we thank you that you've invited us into your family. That that by grace... And through faith in the blood of Jesus, in his broken body, and in his resurrection, that we can be made right with you.
Father, we love you, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.